the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. They wish to protest. They say they will burn the Supreme Court down. Let's find out whether any of that is actually to be believed with senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford University's Professor Victor Davis Hanson, author of The Case for Trump. Professor, welcome back to America First. Thank you for having me. Uh, We see a, a, a panoply of possible scenarios in the next 42 days. I've read out earlier in the last hour how many multiple Supreme Court nominees were not only nominated but also confirmed in less than 45 days in America's history. Uh, Are these promises of violence empty threats or are we to expect the president to nominate and confirm and there also to be even more violence in America? Well, I think he's going to nominate. I think it'll be confirmed. It'll be close because of some renegade Republicans, but there's nothing in the Constitution that says Joe Biden rule or Mike uh, Mitch McConnell rule. It just don't exist. And those are just strategy. Those are just names for strategies about whether a president can have a hard or easy time in his election year or his last year, depending on whether he controls the Senate or not. So those are just strategies. They don't mean anything. And Trump, unlike Obama in 2016, has a majority in the Senate, so he's going to move ahead. A lot of that Michael Moore ragadaccio is just anger at himself, at other Democrats, because you and I wouldn't be talking about this had they won the Senate in 2014. They had another chance in 2016. They had another chance in 2018. Or, contrarily, if Harry Reid had not blown up the filibuster on judicial appointments in 2013, we wouldn't be talking because the Republicans could never get that through. They would need 60 votes. Or if Ruth Bader Ginsburg did what David Souter or Catherine, uh, Dale O'Connell did or Anthony Kennedy, usually when you have an ideological affinity in the White House and you are tired, you're burned out, you're ill, you're, you think you're too old, you just want to break. You retire under those ideological synonymous circumstances. I don't know why in 2000. 13 and 14, a re-elected Barack Obama with a majority in the Senate did not ask her to resign, or maybe he did, or to retire, whatever term we use. Had she done it, they would have had a hard left pick. And they chose none of those three. They were not able to attain any of those three options, and now they're angry at themselves and the situation. And when when Michael Moore says, we're going to get out on the street, what more can he do? I mean, we... We've had murder, we've had violence, we've had arson, we've had looting, we've had every type of statue toppling, we've had military officers come out and almost hint there should be a coup. We've, we've had everything. So I think a lot of it is sort of the same old, same old talk, and it'll be done within the same old, same old reaction. 
Now, I, I may be simply missing some some deeper um, reason, or or simply it's just naivete. But to me, all of this this screaming and this belly aching about you can't do it now, forty two days before an election. Well, it's transparent to me that that's simply because they think that they get to pick their left-wing associate justice if Biden and Harris win. To me, that seems to be just transparently hypocritical, transparently political and cynical. Um, am I missing something? Does the average voter not see that, Professor? And, and if they do see how transparently political these protestations are, doesn't that benefit the president's case at the polling stations in 42 days' time? I think it does. I think that both parties have a different view of that circus that surrounded Kavanaugh. The Democrats said, well, it, we were gross and uncouth, but we energized our base and took the House. The Republicans said, you so appall the nation that we even picked up two seats in the Senate and kept it. And both are going to, we're going to see a replay of it and may the best party win. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think the Republicans are saying we have a list of judicial nominations. That was our signature brand with the Trump presidency. We have two. We're going to have three. And they're going to say, why doesn't Biden offer an, an, you know, an alternate list of judicial nominees? Why doesn't he lobby the Republicans in the Senate and may the best man win? But they can't do that. They all, every time they start to lose, they look for a structural uh, change or some way to change the rules or, or to say the Constitution doesn't mean what it says. And wait till they win, if they do win, excuse me, and they win the Senate. The first thing they do will get rid of the filibuster. The yes. second thing they do will add six justices to the court, which is not specified the number in the Constitution. The third thing they do, they'll move on the state legislatures with a national compact to get rid of the Electoral College. The, the fourth thing they will do will try to put Rhode Island, I mean, uh, Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., and get another four senators. And probably the fifth or sixth thing will be to have a national change in eligibility that will supersede states uh, voting protocols and have 16-year-olds to vote as well as ex-felons. So they're looking at structural changes because the present constitutional system has not been as beneficial to them as they would like. And Professor, what is your estimate for, for why Joe Biden seems so reticent to release any list of his potential candidates for the Supreme Court? Well, he's made a Faustian bargain, and the bargain was that uh, if AOC and Bernie Sanders and that hard left group in the primaries uh, would rally behind him, then he would promote a radical social agenda, and he, and he appointed Kamala Harris and kept his word, and then they, in exchange, would tell the military wing of the Democratic Party, keep it up, basically, but Antifa and BLM will cool it when Trump's not president any longer. And part of that bargain was that Joe Biden would be an empty vessel that would pose as a centrist. So we know what his list would entail. It would have some pretty wacky, hard left, ACLU to the eighth degree nominees, and he can't release it because people would see it. If he releases a bunch of moderates that would be in tune with his supposed centrism, then the left would go ballistic. So he's not gonna, I don't think he's gonna list anybody. And your response to the president's early 
acquiescence, seeming acquiescence to identity politics, saying he is not only going to nominate somebody potentially by Friday or Saturday, but it will be a woman. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? And can't he just change his mind in the next seven days? Well, I think he can, but I think he, what he is looking for is not so much uh, uh, gender, but a person who will be best to counteract the force of his opposition. His opposition at now is hyper-identity politics, and it's cruel and it's mean. And I think if he gets a charismatic figure like Amy Barrett, young, attractive, mother, and they unleash those tactics that they did on Kavanaugh, it won't be as effective. That he's trying to find a profile of people that will rally the country to his side and indeed the nominee's side. It just happens that 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 entails being, I think, a woman in this case. And then it works well that he's had two men that he's already in there and he wants it. So I'm not too worried about that because I think I know what he's saying is that I want to see you know, Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren go after a young, uh, attractive, charismatic justice who's had, you know, seven children and two of them are adopted and see if they can do what they did to Kevin or to her and see what the suburban mom says about this. And if they can't accuse her of drinking beer and being a serial rapist, then we will see even more violence. Is there something, could there be a sea change if there's more violence? You said we've seen the murders, we've seen them looting, but if it gets to a certain point, does it not have a, a, a decisional, does it not have a, a truly big impact on the election, Professor? Oh, I don't think they realize they're already at that certain point, because if she is nominated and you have a quick hearing and they're out on the streets trying to destroy this woman are angry that this competent charismatic qualified justice is somehow anti-constitutional i think it's going to be a disaster for them and people are already tired of the violence so the idea that they're saying this woman can't be on the court i i think will boomerang and i think they know it and that's one part of the reason they're angry they're angry at ruth bader ginsburg they're angry at harry reed they're angry at the democratic party for not winning the senate back and so that manifests itself with this hysteria and trump not listen he cannot listen to the 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 wobbly republicans he's got to move move Anger never leads to good decisions. We're talking to the author of The Case for Trump. Professor, do do these videos, these selfie videos, do these have political impact or are they just um, somebody letting off steam? I think they do for their base. They're trying to get the base out. But other than that, everybody knows that dying wishes, with all due respect to the deceased. Uh, My mother was an appellate court judge and all she would know when I was in high school, she would come home and say, I got another case where a dying wish is supposed to trump a probate plan or a written document or a uh, certified public accountants, notary public or something like that. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, felt that Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016 as everybody did. So she decided in 2013 and 14, when they the Democrats had the Senate and the presidency, that she was not going to step down at 82. She had beaten cancer. And then when Hillary Clinton lost, uh, she felt apparently that she was in pretty good health and she would make it to 85 or 87, excuse me, through Donald Trump's first term because 
she could have stepped down right after the election. There would have been a big fight, but maybe uh, Barack Obama could have nominated her. I don't think he would have got it through the Senate. But nevertheless, she made a decision. And that decision was clear. So just as in, I don't know, 2016, she issued a statement and said that Merrick Garland should be appointed, even though he was supposed to replace the conservative Scalia. Uh, she didn't say, well, we have to have a conservative that would reflect Scalia's constitutionalist original. So I, I, I just think that all of this stuff that we're talking about is just fluff because the Constitution says the president shall nominate a judge, the Senate shall advise and consent, and that's been interpreted rightly so as voting on a confirmation. So I think what we're gonna see, this is why people elected Donald Trump, to make a tough, quick decision. And he has to do that. He's going to nominate, I think, probably Amy Barrett or somebody of her caliber, and we're gonna have a hearing, and the left is gonna go wild, and they're gonna think it resonates, and I have a feeling it's not Sure, it's not a surety, but I have a feeling that it's not going to help them. In and, the election. and just for the record, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was nominated and confirmed in less time than the president has now in less than 45 days. So that's just a matter of record. We're speaking to the author of The Case for Trump, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Follow him at VD Hanson right now. In your latest piece at our favorite uh, website, American Greatness, it's called A Woke Joe Biden Ends His Hibernation. You you describe how finally it looks as if Joe Biden realizes he's, he's running for president. Um, my greatest fear, despite what may happen in the Senate and elsewhere, is that short of a landslide victory for the president that is incontestable when it comes to the 270 electoral college seats that are needed or votes that are needed, that we have uh, months and months of an attempt to pull out the results, go to the courts. If that is the case... Are you concerned that the, the fabric of, of the republic will be threatened in some way that we haven't seen before in terms of the lack of respect for the mandate of the people and the, the 80 million mail-in ballots that are being dispersed as we speak, Professor? Oh, absolutely. We saw it in 2000 in Florida, and we were told that George Bush was selected, not elected. There were protests at Florida Supreme Court. Uh, weighed in in favor of Gore. And then months later, after it was decided, we'd hear from the New York Times investigative reporting team, you know what? Bush did win after all. And the same thing, I'm sitting in the 21st Congressional District where David Valdeo, a Republican, won easily on Election Day by four or 5,000 votes. And we waited and waited till almost Christmas. And what happened is exactly what you described. We, each week we would say, oh my gosh, a new trove of ballots appeared, and now and his opponent, a left-wing Democrat, won by about 600 votes. And so, yeah, we're all we're all worried about that, and we know what they will do because they look at Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. They look at the thin margins that Trump won last time, and they think it doesn't take more than 20 or 30 thousand ballots in some of these to flip that state. My only hope is that. Well, we will see massive fraud in New York and Illinois and California. It won't affect the Electoral College to the same degree. So the Republicans really have to focus, because they do have a few Republican governors and, and some uh, majority Republican uh, seats in the legislatures of those states. And they've got to use their clout to make sure that these swing states have some integrity in, in voting. But again, it's the idea 
the larger philosophical issue is that the Democrats feel their agenda is not appealing to 51% of the people. And they feel that they're so much smarter and so much more ethical that this isn't fair. So whether it's mail-in balloting or packing the Supreme Court or delaying this appointment, they're going to do anything necessary because they think the, their means are justified by their superior ethical ends. And then what is the worst case scenario should the, the victor not be clear by the time of the inauguration? How long could we live in that the purgatory? Oh, I think it's going to have to end quicker than that. What's even scarier, one thing that we have to put in the equation, Joe Biden himself interpreted some provocative statements by four former chief, joint chiefs of staff chairmen. Remember what uh, Dempsey and Myers and um, Colin Powell had said, as well as things that General Mattis has said, they, he interpreted that as least that they were going to help him escort the president out of the White House. So there were, and then when we look at these unproven but nevertheless allegations in the Woodward book about an intervention, and this all follows the so-called revolt of the generals earlier about the use of federal troops. It's really scary because you get the impression that the Biden left-wing mentality is reflected among a cadre of very influential, powerful military people who think it's their ethical duty to intervene should Donald Trump quote-unquote lose. Lose being defined, I guess, by uh, waiting until the last unverifiable mail ballot is sent in. That could take months. I, I am worried. In, incredible. Um, we, we've seen the language even from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and General Mattis, language that we don't expect here, maybe in Venezuela, in uh, a junta regime, but the concept of the military not obeying their commander-in-chief. We've been talking to the author of A Case for Trump, The Case for Trump, buy it now. Follow him on Twitter at VD Hansen. He is Stanford University's Victor Davis Hansen. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. To those who saw her as a feminist icon of liberal causes, she was the notorious RBG. To conservatives, she was a formidable foe, the leader of the liberal wing of the Supreme Court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought incredibly hard against several cancers, but she lost her battle Friday evening in Washington, D.C. She was 87 years old and had served on the nation's highest court for 27 years. Justice Ginsburg's legacy is one of the main debates and dividing lines between the cultural left and the right in the United States on issues including abortion. And her death sets up an epic battle for the future of the Supreme Court, and right as the presidential election was already hitting fever pitch. Both sides know that this will be a battle to define the court for a generation or more. November 3rd now looms even larger. I'm Albert Moeller. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, impacting policy decisions today, preparing public leaders for tomorrow.